Hey friends, can't wait till Wednesdays to get your Modern Mamas fix. Join us on Patreon. You can choose your tier and when you subscribe, you'll get bonus content, early access to retreat, first peeks at new swag, plus shout outs and even real time monthly virtual hangs with us. Visit patreon.com forward slash modern mamas podcast to check it out and support the podcast. It truly means the world to us. We are so grateful for you and for this community. I love mama. Welcome to the Modern Mamas Podcast. We're two modern mamas with the goal to inspire, empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. It's Jess here, and I have the honor and the privilege of welcoming back one of my favorite people on the planet. I'll just go ahead and, and throw that out there. Cassie Joy Garcia, welcome, friend. Oh, thank you, Jess. That's so kind. <laughs> well, you've been on our podcast. Gosh, has it been? Is it just one time? Or I feel like you've been on multiple times. I feel like it's been multiple times, yeah. but you and I talk all the time. (laughs) (laughs) This is very true. So it all kind of runs together. And you've been at one of our virtual modern mama's retreats before. So you have just been such a a huge support for everything that I have been doing. And it's just an honor to have you here today to talk about one of your, your babies, one of your projects that you've been working on as a labor of love for the last, I mean, it's been longer than a year that you've been working on your new book, right? It's been a really long time. (laughs) Like if I, this is, I'm at the stage of life now where I think about times of span, spans in time as to how many children I had in that time. (laughs) Yes. Accurate. I had one and a half children. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, you, so it's been that long. It's been, gosh, oh my gosh. And, and I feel like, so the new book we're just jumping right in. I'm going rogue, like off my actual what I normally do. But the new book is Cook One's Dinner Fix. And it's a little bit different or a lot different. We're gonna we're gonna dig into that from your previous book, which was Cook One's Eat All Week, which is well loved, well used, and dog eared in our house. And so I can't wait to talk about that. But really what we're gonna be talking about is the problem, the problems that this book solves for people like you, like myself. I'm sure a lot of people listening in who want to eat well, want to not just out to eat, not just like bake chicken breast and rice and broccoli every single day, who want to save time, who want to save money, save energy. I feel like that's a huge thing these days. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's so much drawing our energy and attention away. It's like at the end of the day, there's not a lot left to, to give to putting a really beautiful, delicious meal on the table for your family. So we're going to be talking about that. And, and I really am really excited about it. But before we do, I want, if, you, if y'all don't know who Cassie is, let me give you a quick bio. 
Cassie Joy Garcia is the best-selling author of Cook Once Dinner Fix, Cook Once Eat All Week, and Fed and Fit, as well as the creative force behind the popular food blog, Fed and Fit. Eager to share her healthy living secrets with the world, she started Fed and Fit in 2011. Wow. It's, it's 10 years? <laughs> it's been you, 10 years. Did you already celebrate your 10-year anniversary? I kind of missed it, but I will celebrate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like that's a big one. I feel like we can't let that go by. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and since then, Cassie became a holistic nutrition consultant and transitioned her personal blog into a tremendously supportive and nimble online wellness editorial, backed by a small but mighty team of writers, researchers, and editors. After realizing that her own struggles to get a healthy homemade dinner on the table overlapped with the same struggles experienced by her readers, she decided that there must be a better way. The Cook Once Method was born, and it has revolutionized how people cook. She lives in San Antonio, Texas with her husband and two children and two... I'm adding this. I'm ad-libbing. Two <laughs> amazing, beautiful, wonderful, giant white Pyrenees. <laughs> and I mean, you, you've done so much in the last 10 years, and I've been lucky to get to be a, a small part of that growth at, at one point um, a couple years ago when I was just starting on my, my journey to kind of entrepreneurship and this whole world. And people ask me, this is, it's so strange. People ask me this all the time. Is Cassie as nice as she seems like on the internet? There's no one that can be that nice. There's no one that can be that like energetic. And obviously the answer is like, of course, I'm sure you have bad days, but you really do bring this energy and this positivity and this passion to the work that, that you do. And I just, I feel like the internet community as it is, is very lucky to have you in, in the space. That, that is just the <laughs> nicest thing you could have said. Thank you so much, Jess. That means a lot. Absolutely. And it's because you really know me. <laughs> I, I do. But honestly, it's like, you know, like I said, it's not like you have perfect days all the time. That makes you all the more human. But it's it's you're one of those people that doesn't necessarily dwell on it. Obviously, I'm not Austin, your husband, and I'm sure he gets the just like most of our partners get, you know, the brunt of that. But at the same time, I just think you handle your personal struggles with a lot of grace. And so it shows. Well, thank you. I try. Yeah, you're you're amazing. So today, like we've we've had you on before to talk about Cook Once Eat All Week. And today we're gonna kind of dive more into the new book and go even deeper because I'll be honest, I'm really, really interested. I got a chance to kind of peruse the new book. It's gorgeous, but I'm really interested interested to see how it takes what you've done with Cook Once Eat All Week and answers more of those problems because you have always really listened to the people in your community and mm -hmm. at the core of all, all the things that you create, the articles, the, the books, the recipes, it always is directed at, at being a solution-oriented person and trying to see what your people struggle with and how to provide you know, solutions that make sense for them. And so we're going to talk about, like I mentioned before, how to save time, how to save money and energy in the kitchen. We've got some really good listener questions that kind of go around, like, how do I help at slash encourage my family to eat the meals that I've prepared once I've, you know, I've saved all this time and money and energy, but like no one's eating it, <laughs> which is another struggle in and of itself. And so we're going to be talking about, you know, feeding a family and and what sort of struggles come along with that. So, yay. Is there anything <laughs> you, you know, I don't know. I feel like I've, we've talked about your story here, but what, before we dive into the meat of it, like what drove you to create, 
I feel like cook once, eat all week. You could have stopped there and been like, that's, Mm -hmm. I did it. Like I, I created this beautiful solution. It's like the pinnacle of what everyone needs, but what drove you to kind of go a step further and do the cook once dinner fix? Well, the thing that really got me curious most, like you said, listening to our readers is the thing that I try to do the most often. I will say, you know what? I derive and I get a lot of joy out of my work because I get to like, what a cool thing to do to be able to intersect with a solution that I can provide for somebody's problem. You know, Mm -hmm. I cannot solve all the problems in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like you could actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. If that were true, I would have far fewer (laughs) of them myself, but (laughs) But, you know, every once in a while, when someone expresses a pain point in their life, I think, gosh, I can, I can help. I can do something about that. And so that brings me so much joy when I'm able to, you know, just work. It feels like really good work Mm -hmm. to do and to toil over it and to work on it. And then when you deliver it and then when it actually works for that person (laughs) or an entire community, what a fun moment to just just see all that come together. So that's what we did. That's what I did is Cook One Seed All Week came out. And yes, I it was inc- and has been and still is incredibly helpful to so many people. However, there were some wishes that came across the bow mm. of, I love this and I wish it had blah. Or man, this is great, but would be even better if it had blah, blah, blah. And so I just kept a mental note and not that I was ready to jump off. I was going to say jump off the cliff and I was going (laughs) to, I was thinking that sounds dramatic, but it's actually (laughs) probably accurate. I didn't know if I was ready to jump off the cliff and write another book. That's kind of what it feels like, but I just like to pay attention to what are people's pain points still. And in studying that and studying their pain points, I realized just over a span of time, the, the rest of the pain points that people had, the wishes that they had for cook ones eat all week actually overlap with the way that I actually cook in my own house mm-hmm. constantly. And, and the reason I cook in my own house this way is because while cook ones eat all week was my solution to meal prepping woes, the way that I cook in my house is not, I'm not necessarily a huge meal prepper. I'm more of a, how do we make our kitchen experience as efficient, but also still delicious as possible. And that's where, that this is how I cook is I do my food prep for night two on night one while I'm making dinner. And I make sure that when a meal is over, it's not over at that meal. I have now prepped components that I get to use in a future meal. And it gives me so much joy because it's not just all over at the Mm -hmm. end of that flurry and all the dirty dishes and all the feelings around what you made or didn't make, (laughs) but you get to kind of pay it forward and do your future self a favor. And so that's kind of why is because I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I've never actually shared my, my personal solution. And it just so happened to match up with the wishes that people had. And so that's when I was like, maybe there's something I'm, I still have work to do here. Mm. That's amazing. And I was going to kind of save book details for the end, but now that we're kind of on the, on the subject, let's just 
dive right into it. So yeah. you kind of mentioned, so Cook Once, Eat All Week was this really cool kind of system. I like to think of it as a system where you have your meal prep day, you can do all of these things in advance that will then basically allow you to just kind of throw things together for, it was, it's three nights a week, right? And Cook Once, yes. Eat All Week for three nights out of the week. And then you had this really cool section of just like really easy kind of like filler dinner components that you could kind mm-hmm. of throw together quickly. And so you're, can you elaborate a little bit more about how Cook Once Dinner Fix is specifically different from that method? Yes, exactly. I can. Okay. So one big difference is that in Cook Once Eat All Week has a very detailed prep day. And the goal of that prep day was if you're very proficient and comfortable and confident, in the kitchen, you could probably get through that prep day in between one and two hours. And that's where you pre-cook, pre-chop, pre-mix dressings and sauces so that you can assemble those three different dinners throughout the week. And assembly takes anywhere between 10 and 30 minutes, depending on the dish max. And then we had those bonus dinners woven in. What Cook One's Dinner Fix, what folks, one of the pain points was I still don't want to have a prep day. Like I still don't want to spend one to two hours in the kitchen prepping on the weekend. And so, but they would rather fold a little bit of that time into making the actual meal on meal day. And so what I did is I eliminated the prep day and cook one's dinner fix. And instead of, and then another pain point that we had was folks were like, gosh, man, I love, I love chicken and broccoli and sweet potato as the next person, <laughs> but I'm going to poke my eyes out if you make me eat it one more time this week. <laughs> and so instead of the three really kind of heftier dinners, I broke it up into two dinners that utilize a similar protein, whether that's an animal protein or a vegetarian protein. And then, and that was also solved. Another problem was people asked for more variety of proteins, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's another thing. That's another thing that I do in my own home is I try to eat seafood once a week and chicken once a week and beef once a week and you name it, you know, you go through it all. Mm -hmm. And this is a way to do that. And so the idea is folks can then take these pairs of dinners right? All these couplings and then put together your ideal week. So maybe grab one from the seafood chapter and one from the poultry chapter and make your four dinners that week. So that was another big difference. And then the last big difference that I can talk about really quickly is another huge wish that folks had was for complete meals and cook once eat all week. I I'm laughing at myself. I essentially said like a a stuffed avocado, the Buffalo stuffed avocados come to mind. I was like, Here's your dinner. You get a stuffed avocado and that's <laughs> and that's it. And which are delicious by the way. <laughs> they're so delicious. But there's a lot of folks, rightfully so, who are like, but what do I what do I serve it with? Is it that it? Is that all we eat for dinner? And in my own home, I just I didn't even think about the fact that of course I'm building some kind of a side dish to go with that to round out a plate. But I didn't I didn't give it to y'all. I was like, you you figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> essentially what I said in Cook Once Eat All Week. So in Cook Once Dinner Fix, the, the meals that we're providing are actually full meals. So instead of just like the beautiful barbecue rubbed brisket, I'm also giving you a no-stir, easy cheesy polenta with a zesty cabbage slaw to make that a complete meal. Mm. Oh my gosh. I know. I was looking through it. And what I really noticed is that you really, you know, you started off as a paleo blog, right? Like that was initially part of your journey. And I feel like, you know, the meals in the book 
are healthy and they're nourishing and they're complete, but they don't necessarily ascribe to any like one type or style of eating. And how do you like, how has that evolved over time for you? And why is that kind of a really important part of this book? I think for people to understand. I think it is really important because, you know, when I started off, like you said, 10 years ago, I guess, in Fed and Fit, and for the first four-ish years, four to five years, I was pretty strictly grain-free, dairy-free, sugar-free. And it worked for me then, you know, and it was, I had found a lot of personal health, freedom through that, that a way of eating and living and I healed myself but I also got to the point where in my you know in the privacy of my own home in my own kitchen I started testing things I started testing well what what if I did have a corn tortilla you know I corn's a grain but let's see what happens and what if I did put the sour cream on my chili instead of the <laughs> coconut cream and what I learned is that could because I'd healed my body all of a sudden I could start tolerating these still very nourishing foods I'm a I'm a holistic nutritionist and I really don't have I really don't look at any one food group as a bad food and there's some merit to the majority of whole foods like there's merit to all of them and so uh, whole natural foods that is and so I started to experiment and I just in order to maintain integrity with my brand and what I was putting out there and the recipes I was publishing, I also wanted to share stuff that I was actually cooking at home. And Jess, I'll never forget the first time I posted a recipe on fedandfit.com that called for a gluten-free flour instead of like an almond flour and arrowroot mixture. I raced for impact. I was <laughs> I was like, oh, are they gonna, are they gonna, you know, shoo me out yeah. of the internet. <laughs> and what I found was, and this happens over and over again in my career, but they were hungry for it too. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. readers were like, oh, you've been eating gluten-free flour. <laughs> me too. And <laughs> it just became something that I was like, we can, we can all take a deep breath. And, and it, what I wanted to provide in the book context and what you'll find on fedfit.com, for example, is Special diets, I don't ever want to pre like present them as a prescriptive program, mm -hmm. right? It's not meant to be prescriptively gluten-free, dairy-free, grain-free. If that's still how you choose to eat, my recipes will always have a place for you. If there's a possible substitution, I've got your back, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's tested. It's not like I just wrote it in there and didn't test it and you're going to be disappointed in how it turns out. So I want to make sure that my recipes are still inclusive, but I want you to be able to choose the right ones for you and your family. That's amazing. And so you had mentioned, so essentially the concept of the book is you choose two recipes and that's going to give you four nights of dinners. Is that what you had mentioned? So they're dinner series and each okay. dinner series has two full meals. Okay. And so if you wanted to have four full dinners in your week, you would just choose two dinner series throughout the book. Okay. And so you could grab a dinner series, like I said, from beef, maybe one from veggie, you know, and mix and match. Okay. Perfect. And then we had a question, a couple questions from listeners. One of them was relating to the content of the book, but would you categorize it as low carb or do you kind of create room or suggestions for low carb? This is coming from a type one diabetic. So she does have a bit more of a prescriptive yes. need, but how does that book account for it or does it? Yes, it does. Absolutely. There's a place for low carb for one, for whatever reason that brings you to those needs. We have, so there are 
Oh gosh, the number is escaping me currently. I want to say between 20 and 30 plus full dinners that either are already low carb or have tested modifications with detailed instructions on what to swap out. So there's definitely that consideration in there for anybody who wants to lean on that. And then in addition to that, I this is actually a highly debated or highly scrutinized decision, and I'm all for it. I provided, we did the math for nutrition facts for every single recipe. And so on every single recipe, you're going to see, by way of our math, a breakdown of the macronutrients and the calories for each serving for each dish. Wow. And that's on each recipe page. In past books, I had hidden that in an index in the back of the book, but it was sometimes missed and hard to find for the people who really needed that information or could really find that useful. So we put it right there on the page. And again, it's so that there's no mystery here, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not, again, I don't put those nutrition facts on there because I think anybody should pay attention to them. But if it would serve you well, I've, I've got you covered. Oh my gosh, this book seems like it was an absolute labor of love and I just cannot wait. I mean, I have my digital hands on it, but it's not the same as like holding it in your hand and like flipping through it. Oh my gosh. And the pictures are just gorgeous. The food looks looks amazing. And you've been doing lots of demos on your on the Fed and Fit Instagram with just like the meals that you're actually making from the book at home. Yes. And I love that you do that because I think sometimes you get this book the cookbook and you're like, oh, these are so beautiful. But like, I just really can't see myself making this like in my own kitchen. And you've always done that. You did that with cook once too, just to kind of show people that like, no, really like this is me in my own home. This is what I'm actually feeding my family. This is what it looks like. And I just so appreciate that additional resource resource. I know it's a lot of work. But you do get to reap the benefits of all that work, right? You get to I eat do. the good the, food. Then I've got dinner. Somebody had messaged me recently and she said, how long did it take you to make these two dinners? Because I'll make them together so everybody can see mm-hmm. them demoed together. And I was like, well, it probably should have taken me 45 minutes total max. Mm-hmm. But it took me two and a half hours because I'm filming it. Mm-hmm. And trying to chase off small children in the meantime. Right. And large white dogs who are like begging for food. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, oh, it's delicious. (laughs) Amazing. Well, okay. On that note, some pivoting from, from listeners, you know, you, you do tend to share like the food and the plates that you're feeding your kiddos and you have like an older toddler ish age and then you have a younger kiddo and we got a lot of questions because we we see that part of your life but how do you get your kiddos to eat what you plan a lot of listeners are struggling like you know and I will say I'll kind of raise my hand here too you know we've Mm -hmm. fed our kids whole a lot of whole foods from the very very get-go but even sometimes they just get in these things where they're like I am not eating broccoli even though I liked it literally last week and there's no way you can make me and this is like disgusting (laughs) so how do you get your kiddos to eat and then maybe along not get your kiddos to eat but you know you know what I'm saying like yes how do you encourage them to try new foods and to eat the food that you've prepared and on the flip side I don't necessarily know that you you have to accommodate this in your household but how would you suggest kind of planning for multiple styles of eating so we have i guess it's a two part question but this particular listener is like i have one kiddo that's showing vegetarian preferences and one kiddo that like likes to eat grain free and etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's a two parter so take your time Ooh, okay <laughs> so the first one how do we get the girls to just i guess try mm-hmm. or 
I don't, man, it is hard. I, cause I, what I want to say is get them to eat yes. certain foods and anybody who has ever been a parent or caregiver of small children knows you can't get a child, get a child to do anything. <laughs> really? <laughs> I was hoping uh, you were going to tell us the secret. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of bribery. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I want to say, and this is so and I would say this here and anywhere, we we lean on a lot of pirate's booty and cheese sticks and, you know, the, the like just snacky kind of healthy-ish junk food in our house. Like there's a lot of that that goes around. So, yes, their their meal plates are full of healthy, wholesome, real foods, but, you know, they still are going to just love and enjoy some of the other conveniences. So there's definitely a place for that. What I've found, and this is going to be different for every family and every kid is different, right? What I have found that works for hours of a three and a half year old and an almost one and a half year old, what works really well for them at mealtime to want to try all of these different foods is I have found that if their plate there's a there's a couple different checkboxes, and I don't do a perfect job of this, y'all, and I don't think there is such a thing, but you know, I kind of move my way through mealtime thinking about these somewhat fuzzy checkboxes is if I can check a few of them or maybe the majority of them, odds are they're going to be excited about their dinner is if I can make their plate really fun looking. And I don't necessarily mean arranged into a smiley face so much fun. I actually did that once for Grayson, our three and a half year old, and she was very freaked out by it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, why is my food shaped like a face? She's like, I don't, I cannot eat this now. It has a face. (laughs) I don't necessarily mean that kind of fun and visually, but it's just, there's lots of color on their plate. And even though they may not eat everything on it, I like to make sure that there's at least something in every little square. I really like the plates. They're upcycled from plastic milk jugs called Replay is the brand. It's not sponsored. I buy them, but (laughs) maybe they could sponsor Jess's podcast. But (laughs) I really, there's like little pockets on those plates, you know, and I like to put a little something in all of them. So it just feels like there's this power of plenty is an actual marketing concept, but human beings are drawn to when there is a plentiful amount of something there. We're just naturally wired to gravitate towards like when you're shopping at a store, you're not going to take the last shirt off the shelf. But if there are 12 shirts there, you might take one. You're more inclined Mm -hmm. to take it. And so I kind of find that that's true on kids' plates. So I like to have an an abundance of things, not necessarily overfilled because that overwhelms them, it's too much food, but there's at least stuff everywhere. I like to make sure it's really colorful and pretty. And that is really easy to do with fruit. And so when I'm looking at what we're having for dinner, and I usually feed our kids what Austin and I have for dinner, I just give them a smaller portion and cut or mash, depending on how old the child is and what they can really tolerate at that point in time. And then I round it out with a really fun, colorful fruit. So things that we always have on hand are different grapes, berries, kiwi, stone fruits, for example, something that I can put on there that they have not had earlier in the day. Are my kids eat fruit all day long? I think they're going to turn into like, I think they would turn into a raspberry today if they could have. They ate so many raspberries. Thank goodness they're in season and on sale. But, you know, so I wouldn't put raspberry on their dinner plate. I would put something that actually interests them. 
And so like the plum that I've been hiding in my pantry, I'll cut that up and put it on their plate. And they'd be like, ooh, what's this purple thing? (laughs) And so I like to make them interesting. And I like to have a win on their plate, something I know they're going to love. Mm -hmm. Because if they look at the plate and it is just a whole bunch of a food or a couple foods that they probably won't like, they'll dismiss the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they want one to eat. And so if I put something on there that at least gets them started on eating some of their food, that tends to help. And then the last thing that I do is I try to not pressure them. And this is so hard. This mm-hmm. is so challenging. This is the hardest part for me. Yes. It's like and ingrained I, yes, <laughs> to try and, and bribe just, slash push them yes. to eat what you want them to eat. <laughs> Yes. And I, and I mean, that's how I was raised too. And I'm like, I mean, you know, you go through the logical, like when you're sitting at the dinner table, you tell yourself, I turned out fine. (laughs) (laughs) But I just try to say, you know, try to challenge myself, you know, in not pressuring them. And so what Austin and I do instead, my husband and I is we will take that bite of broccoli and be like, Mmm, broccoli. And we just really enjoy our own dinner. And sometimes they won't eat it. And that's okay. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes they will. And sometimes they'll try it at least. And then I'll say, hey, I'm so proud of you for trying that broccoli. And I just try to pay attention to their positive behaviors. Thank you so much for trying that plum that I knew you were going to have anyways. But like, (laughs) you know, just trying to really the flames that I want to encourage. And then my very last bonus tip, and sorry, this is such a long answer. Oh no, this is great. Okay. My last bonus tip is like when all else fails, I put a dip on their plate Mm. and if they can dip it, they're going to eat it. And so it's like, they may not like broccoli right now. This is just an example that I'm pulling out of nowhere, but, or from your reference, maybe they don't like steamed broccoli right now or raw broccoli, whatever it is. But I do know that they love a Greek yogurt dip. You know, and so I'll put a glob of that tzatziki on their plate and then they're like, they'll look at their plate and they'll be like, ew, I don't (laughs) like it. But if I take that broccoli and I swipe it in the dip for them, then all of a sudden it's a vehicle for dip. Mm -hmm. And even if they just lick the dip off, they might take a nibble here or there and Mm -hmm. realize it's not as bad as they thought it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Such good stuff. Hi friends, Laura here with a quick break to tell you a little bit about one of our absolute favorite products and companies. Our friends at Paleo Valley are on a mission to help people reclaim vibrant health, providing products that prioritize nutrient density in an industry that prioritizes everything else. They believe that every dietary choice and every added ingredient is a powerful opportunity to love and care for ourselves. And we couldn't agree more. I love the Organ Complex and C-Serum for everyday holistic health support. And the beef and turkey sticks are our favorite travel essentials when we're out in the van. And right now we are digging the super greens. They're organic, they're non-GMO, and they contain the actual ingredients that you can use that aren't going to cause inflammation. And right now you can get 15% off of your Paleo Valley order with the code MODERNMAMAS. Check it out. I think my kids are the only kids in the history of the world who like don't like condiments and dips. I, really? I don't. I'm like I am the quintessential like I want barbecue sauce or ketchup on everything. I want like hummus or ranch dip on the side. Like it's salsa. Like anything, anything that I can use as a vehicle for the dip, I'm all about oh. it. But like I don't know. They have just never. God, I wish that was applicable for me. But I think the majority of kids love to dip. 
anything. <laughs> Dump it on their head, dip their carrots in it, whatever. Like that's fun. So that is, okay. those are great, great tips. Now, in terms of, you might not be quite there yet, but like, how would you, the second part was like, how would you accommodate different needs, like food preferences? Maybe it's vegetarian or maybe it's a kiddo with sensory issue or they're just very picky. I mean, I guess you kind of answered that, but like, mm-hmm. would you change your meal prep status as your, as your girls get older, the meals that you make, how would you accommodate that? You know, if I had, I'm just going to zero in on one example okay. and hopefully this is helpful and people who have other specific scenarios can adapt from this. Mm-hmm. But in thinking about if I had a kiddo that was vegetarian or had showed vegetarian preferences and a kiddo that really avoided carbohydrates for one reason or another and other members of the family who enjoyed both of those things. What I would probably do to save myself sanity in the kitchen and y'all that is what I'm after is like how do I how do I get dinner on the table as joyfully as possible, preserving mm-hmm. my joy? Mm-hmm. And one way to really rupture that is to then all of a sudden feel like I'm making three entirely different meals mm-hmm. because it just takes so much more time. It takes me away from being able to play with my family during a time that they really need me in most of the day. And so what I would do to keep things as efficient as possible is honestly, I would avoid dishes that cannot be separated out. And so I would just probably for a season avoid like a chicken enchilada casserole. Mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. You could pick out the chicken and you could pick out the tortillas for the low carb preference person. Everybody else could have the full meal, but that's not really exciting for them. And it's almost extra work for you to have to do all that picking out. And so what I would probably do is I would lean on bowls. I would lean on spreads, kind of like that brisket meal that I referenced, where it was the brisket and the cheesy polenta and the cabbage slaw. I would make meals like that, where the components are distinct and individual, and you can plate it family style, if you like. And if they want the brisket, grab some brisket. But if you don't, it's still a full meal with the polenta and the slaw. Like that's still a really well-rounded dish. And if they don't want the carbohydrates that are going to be in the polenta, it's still a really well-rounded meal with the brisket and the slaw, you know? And so I would lean in that direction so that it's still a complete meal. Everyone's still eating from the same dishes. They just get to kind of choose what they want on their plate. I love that answer. And I found that that is kind of more of what we do as well. Like just Mm -hmm. kind of uh, not with intention, but that's kind of how it's morphed over time. It's like, I will still make us a delicious meal, like for instance, from cook once, but oftentimes it's like, I know that maybe they won't, maybe the kids won't eat the enchilada verde casserole, like as it's made, but I know they like tortillas and I know they like chicken and I know they like avocado and cheese. Mm -hmm. And so it's like kind of separated all out and they, get to kind of put it together and it's not that much it's not that hard to leave a little bit of those components out for us so that like tim and i can get the adult like version Mm -hmm. of that and they can start to like get those flavors in a different way to where eventually my hope is like yeah one day we'll all be eating the chicken enchilada casserole together but it's like kind of they they look at something and they're like i'm not gonna like that but it's like Mm -hmm. really they actually do like all the individual components that are in there and so that's kind of what we do too. It's like, 
really similar to what you're describing. It's like, we'll put things from the meal that we're making on their plate and then also put like, I almost always serve a fruit for them that I'm not personally eating or a vegetable that I know that they like. And I'll give them options too. It's like, because I know, you know, Cammie loves cucumbers. She will eat cucumbers all day, but she hates tomatoes and Bear loves tomatoes and he doesn't really like cucumbers. So it's like, okay, hey, you can pick this, your your fruit and pick your, your vegetable. And then we're mm-hmm. also going to put some of what we're having on the plate too. So that I just know that they get options. They are going to eat something <laughs> on the plate. And at the end of the day, like, you know, they're getting better at saying like, I'm still hungry or no, thank you. Like I'm, I'm full. I'm good. It is hard, especially like in Mar- in our house, it was always like, you need to clean your plate. You've got to mm-hmm. eat. Like you can't get up until you're done eating. And like, even Tim will tell stories about how he like sat there all night long in front of his food. Oh, buddy. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we're not going to do that. But you know, we do want our kids to, to eat fairly healthily. So anyways, that was a, kind of a tangent there. Another question that we have and I, I think she's referencing adult, like as an adult. So she, okay. for instance, she grabs your book and she picks it up and she sees in it falafel, right? Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. like, oh, it's falafel. Like, you know, for whatever reason, maybe she's never tried it or she tried it before and she was like, bleh. So her fear is how do you encourage people to try new foods? And what's holding her back is the fear of wasting the food if she doesn't like it and losing the money that she spent on that food. So maybe encouragement for trying them and then maybe what to do if you just truly don't like it, but you've made this beautiful meal and you have the food. You know, I, the, the first thought that comes to mind on trying new foods is to unattach yourself from the outcome of you having to like it. Because I think that it's okay if you don't like it. We don't all have to like the same things. And that's the beauty of a cookbook with a lot of variety, right? Is you will find the dishes that you love, that you flag, that you make over and over again, that become kind of your just really happy place. And there's going to be dishes that you're like, "Mm, that's, that's not my favorite. I do not like tuna. I like tuna, but maybe somebody like really doesn't like tuna. They're definitely not going to make a dinner series that has tuna in it. And so... I say, but if it's something that you've never had before and you don't know if you're going to like it or not, I would make it from a lens of curiosity first. And I would try to just tell myself, I'm going to stay curious about this. I may not like it and that's okay. And then you may like it and that's cool too, but it's not a win if you like it. The win is that you tried it. The win is that you did this thing and you stepped out on the ledge and you did something new. That's the thing to be really excited about. Not if you find that you love it. I mean, sure, that's exciting, but it's also great to have an answer that you didn't like it. And so I would start there with a mindset shift and just place the importance on the curiosity and that the win is in you trying it. And then the second thing is, of course, you don't want to waste food. You take one bite of that falafel and you're like, nope. Like, I still don't like it. I imagined, I really like them, but I made them last night, actually, for dinner. I made falafels last night from Cook One Center Fix. There's this falafel, like, really delicious Greek bowl. It looked amazing. That's why I said falafel, because it was, like, the first thing that came to my mind. uh, It's a great example, Jess. It really is, because it's kind of a polarizing food. Because we made, like, this, like, Greek bowl with all these different really yummy flavors, hummus and olives and things like that. And that might be one person's worst nightmare. And I was thinking about who it might be, and it would be my father. I thought about (laughs) while those falafels were in the oven, if he had walked through the front door, he would have said, 
ew, <laughs> what is cooking? And, and, but you know what? I know the man, he would have tried it mm-hmm. and he would have tried it and he would have said, huh, that's not for me. <laughs> but I'm glad you, tr- I'm glad you like it. And so I think that, Oh gosh, I got off on a tangent, but yeah. Oh, if you waste the food. So that, that's, that's the trickier that to me, that's the trickier part of this equation. And this question is, you know, you don't want to waste your money or the effort in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do is before I I try something new, if you're going out and you're going to do like the really cool thing to be really excited about and try something new and put possibly not like it, I would already have a backup in mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe it's a frozen pizza. I mean, like, make life easy on yourself. Mm-hmm, it's something mm-hmm. really easy that doesn't require cooking. You already have a backup in mind and on hand. And two, you know who you can gift this dinner to. Mm-hmm. And so I would try it mindfully. You know, maybe this isn't the one to make while you, after your dog is getting a bath right next to you and there's fluffy hair floating around <laughs> everywhere because you know that you might be gifting this out. So I would try to you know, don't lick the spoon and put it back into the pot if you know Mm -hmm. that you may not like it and you might be gifting it away. So kind of build those precautions into mind, have a backup and have someone that you can gift it to. Yes, maybe you're not able to eat the dollars, right, that you spent on that meal, but it's not going to waste. You know, you're Mm -hmm. able to really pay it forward somewhere. Oh, I love that. That's such a good idea. Great advice. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And we had, we had some people, I think just really connect with you online through your persona. I not persona, like you're putting on like a, like you're an actress. (laughs) This is my Cassie joy persona. No, like they really just connect with who you are. And so people, when I did a call for questions, I'll be honest, there were, we've answered most of the book questions, but everyone was just wanting to know more about you, about Gus, about how you do what you do and how you're feeling. They want to know how you're feeling with your, your pregnancy, you know, all the, those good questions. Are you, are you ready to, to talk yeah. about some personal live? Okay. Well, first and foremost, the most requested question was how is Gus doing? And if, He's, if yeah, anyone ahead. doesn't know, Gus is Cassie's Pyrenees and how old is he now? He is, Oh, you know why I don't have this answer immediate is because I press control delete in my brain. <laughs> Because I don't like remembering his age. <laughs> I think he's nine. Oh, he is so handsome. How is he doing? I know. So there's been some. Not, I mean, I'll let you fill us in. How's Gus? He's he's doing great. I mean, Gus feels great right now. There's like he has no issues as far as he knows. What happened <laughs> is we took Gus into the vet for his old man scan. And essentially it's to, it's his annual physical, but they just pay attention to different parts and pieces. Mm-hmm. And we discovered that he has growths in his hindquarter and which just sounds, I'm like finally probably almost at the point where I can talk about it without turning into a sobbing, blobbering mm-hmm. mess. Blubbering, blobbering, same Slobbering. thing. Slobbering. <laughs> all of those apply. <laughs> and so they found, we found these growths and he, so we took him in for an assessment to just see what they were and they aspirated. So they just took a small amount of sample and the ones, they also found a growth in his liver, which was really scary. And he came back as the liver was benign, praise the Lord, mm-hmm, hallelujah, mm-hmm. but the gross in his hind region are cancerous. Mm. And so we're just at the point now where we they're very aggressive tumors, just the nature of them. And it's just, I mean, Austin and I talk about it at night. We're just like, it is just so cruel 
because he is so healthy otherwise. Mm -hmm. I am going to start crying if I talk about too much more, but he's so healthy and happy otherwise. And so he's doing great. He feels great. We're going to pursue. And the reason I haven't shared an update on it yet is because there's still some question marks about what treatment plan we want to pursue. And so I figured I would just provide an update when all my decisions were made because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some people really like to be helpful and provide advice. And I'm just not at the space Mm -hmm. to like open myself up to that. So we're just leaning on all of these incredible veterinarians all across Texas, actually. Texas has got incredible veterinary medicine available to us. And so we've been driving to Austin to see one particular specialist, but he'll be he'll be good. I will hopefully have a treatment plan and then a prognosis that I can start wrapping my head around, head and heart around soon. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. I know, like you mentioned, like it can be hard to even talk about it you know, as it's happening and you're still processing it. And I think, you know, as much as us on the internet adore and love Gus, it's like, we know that love and adoration is just a million times, you know, you feel that for him. I mean, yeah. he's like your first kiddo. And I mean, just looking back, I, cause if you don't know, I used to, I used to work for Cassie and one of the jobs that I had done was looking back through old blog posts. And I remember like looking back, I was doing some like categorizing on like the back end, and it was like, Gus is a puppy. It was like the, the post that you did about, about him. And it was just, it was crazy to just see how far he's come and how far, how much he's been through with you and Austin and the girls. So we will all be you know, praying and sending happy healing vibes for him. And he's got his brother, Ben, to keep him young. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Just, you know, sometimes Gus is grateful, but he doesn't always realize he's grateful for Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we all have people in our lives that we feel similarly about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for the Gus update. Now, the other, everything that, that people were also curious about was, just how you're feeling and, you know, how this third pregnancy is going. And, you know, I think people really just want to know, like, how this has been different. If you've had to make it, maybe it hasn't been different at all. It's just been kind of old hat at this point. But how are you feeling and how's the pregnancy been going? It's good. Baby girl's kicking right now, which is Aww. just, if you've ever had a baby quicken in your belly before, it is just, there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are elements of being pregnant that I won't miss, but feeling life in my belly move is just unlike anything else. I'm just so grateful. Every kick, I'm just a little awestruck. So I'm grateful for that perspective, but I'm feeling great right now, Jess. I th- I might've told you, but I feel like I'm in the second trimester sweet spot of mm-hmm. the pregnancy. And now that this is my third, I'm like, oh, this is how it goes. It's like, <laughs> I I felt like absolute poo-poo for the first trimester, mm-hmm. and it was worse this time. It's gotten my symptoms have gotten progressively worse through the pregnancies, which is, I guess, to be expected. Nutrients being depleted, breastfeeding babies. Mm-hmm. I'm working on that. I have a really solid theory as to why I felt so crummy. I had essentially like a two-month-long migraine. Ugh, I remember I was gonna ask if migraines that was like your big struggle, right? For most of your pregnancies. Yeah. It was. I had never, I had not ever had one before I was pregnant. And then when I got pregnant with Grayson, my first, 
I had one, maybe two migraines that lasted four or five days each. And I sat on that couch. I licked my wounds. I like turned down the lights. Austin fed me. It was, <laughs> I really felt sorry for myself. And then when I was pregnant with Bishop, I had a baby on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you just kind of have to muster through it and even more so this go around. But got it, got through it, hopefully with some semblance of grace. And it has been much better right now. So I'm feeling really good and looking forward to meeting baby. There's as with every time I have a baby, I feels like a there's it's a not that the baby is a project, but to prepare my life for baby so that I have the room and space to just really pour into her mm-hmm. in especially in those first early months is a considerable amount of work. So that's the season I'm in right now. Well, and with that, like, how are you, what are some things that you are doing to prepare for this season? And that was a question too, like advice must have things that you're doing to kind of prepare for that postpartum transition phase. Like what, Mm -hmm. what's on your plate right now? Oh gosh, the to-do list. In addition to (laughs) the, I think of the business, I'm sitting in my super messy prop food closet right now looking around. <laughs> it's just kind of a physical representation of <laughs> the business and life, but it's essentially getting as much organized as possible and done in advance as possible. When you're a business owner and you own the business, it's not like I can just say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and take off today. I'll see y'all in three months. I'm responsible right, for mm-hmm. keeping a business afloat that keeps almost soon to be four or five plus myself, full-time employees employed. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a, it's a very, at least for me, it feels this heightened sense of responsibility to make sure that I'm not just leaving, but I'm building them three months worth of work to keep doing and to, for them to still really enjoy their job and feel really fruitful. So it looks a lot like getting as as ahead on work as possible. So there's that. And then at home and on our personal front, It's just a lot of time spent trying not to be busy when I'm not around my family Mm. or when I am around my family. It's so tempting to come home and reorganize the upstairs or talk with Austin about we're going to build a house in the next couple of years, like, and sit down and, and hash out our design plans again. But if the girls are awake, like I'm trying to really lean into this season of playing and being with them as intentionally and really purely focused on them as possible when they're awake and I'm home, which is the majority of the time. So that because I know they're going to have to divide their attention again, like they're Mm going to have to share again really soon. So that just kind of helps me feel a little bit better, like pour into them as much as I can while I can. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so, and I guess just rounding it out, it's like, we, we see this I think another one of the very common questions that people have for you, and this can kind of be your parting words, is how do you, and you've answered this, I think maybe in our retreat, our virtual retreat, but I don't know that you've answered it on the podcast, but how do you do it all? How do you do it? I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me, but as (laughs) a mama, as a wife, as a business, like as an entrepreneur, you know, all these many, many hats that you wear. How do you, how do you do it? How do you find balance? How do you just make it? And I'm really asking because I need you to tell me how you do it. (laughs) But how do you make it day to day, uh, just kind of moving forward and staying positive? You know, I, 
This is, I'm going to give you a roundabout answer and I'll try to be not exceptionally long-winded. I was doing some thinking about the four tendencies and Gretchen Rubin's personality framework, if you're unfamiliar with it. And there's rebels, upholders, obligers, and questioners in that framework. And I think I've talked with you about this before, Mm -hmm. but I'm a rebel. And something that rebels do, which is uncharacteristic for kind of the life that I've set up for myself, is to also be a rebel in that work. I tend to masquerade a little bit as an upholder. People who don't know why I do things tend to think I'm an upholder. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned in studying this framework a little bit further is that rebels choose an identity. And they choose something that they want to be and want and they want to lean into and represent. And something that I chose as a young kid, and I will, and typically rebels only choose these things because they learned the hard way. Mm. They learned what they didn't want to see in their life. And what I, an identity that I've chosen for my life, whether I real, I didn't realize it when I was doing it. Not like I was like, I shall today choose. <laughs> but I've always wanted to be dependable, consistent, and coachable. Those are three things that I always really strive to be for one reason or another. There are lots of identities that I assume and I try to like really lean into, but those three have been true my entire life. And, or as long as I can really remember and how I intentionally move through the world. And in answering your question, how do I do it all? Number one, I don't. And that's the easiest part of this answer is that I don't do it all. <laughs> I don't do it all. It's not all possible of being done. And also, I'm not the only one doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, and I don't mean to say that as like, this is an unattainable way of going through life. It's just, I want to have a large impact and I want to be able to touch a lot of things. And that's only possible if I have a lot of help. And I've made sacrifices in order to you know, get to a point where that's possible for me and I've worked really hard, but it's by no means in any stretch of the imagination, something that I've done myself. I also entered this world with a heck of a lot of privilege. I heard an analogy once recently where they were like, yeah, I hit a home run, but I started on third base, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I really identify with that as well. I definitely did not start at the the batter's plate of my my sports analogies are going to get real. <laughs> They're starting to fall apart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, and so there's that big aspect of it. But as far as like, how do I move through the day is I try to stay coachable to life. I think that I might set up a routine or I might set an intention for the day. You know, we all, I think we all understand that. And I had heard these words through Greg Renfrew. You can have it all, but you can't have it all on the same day. And I think that's so true. Like you can be a rock star at your job and maybe not feel like you are a total rock star at home on that same exact day. But it doesn't mean that you can't have it in the same week, you know? And so I try to keep that in mind. But also when I'm setting my intentions for the day and as my kids get older and their needs start to like why and splinter in their own directions and I'm feeling pulled in a bunch of different directions is I just move where they're pulling me. And I try to stay coachable. It's, I think the hardest part on having so many things that pull you in so many different directions is when you're rigid to the plan you have and you're rigid to the intentions you set. And you're like, nope, today is the day that I'm doing blah, blah, blah. And what I try to enter into every day, like my agreement with the day is that I'm going to stay coachable and I might make a mistake. I might be like, oh, nope, I really, I really should have been in, I should have been home today to be with Grayson through 
X, Y, Z, you know, like I really should not have leaned on this other scenario to get through that. That should have been me. And I'm going to change it right now. I'm going to go home and I'm going to be there right now. And it's okay. It's okay to admit that I was wrong because I'm being coachable. That's amazing. I think that's going to help so many people, right? I mean, meet them where they are in this season of life. Many of our listeners are, are, you know, parents and are juggling a lot of plates. And I love that advice. And that's always stuck with me that you can, you can do it all. You just can't do it all in one day. And it's like Mm -hmm. on those days where, and I think a lot of us have really high standards for what we can achieve in a day in 24 hours. And it's Mm -hmm. like, we've got to, we've got to wake up early. We've got to have our alone time. We've got to meditate. We've got to work out. We've also got to drink enough water. We've got to have three square meals a day plus healthy snacks. We've got a parent like straight from the book, you know, it's Mm -hmm. all these, we've got to have time for a partner. You know, we got to shower and it's like, that may not happen every single day, but you know, my hope, and again, you've touched on this is that like we touch on those in the span of that, that longer timeline of a week or a month, or, you know, it's just like ups and downs and seasons of life that we go through where you're going to have more attention on certain things and less attention on others. And mm-hmm. like just allowing that flow to happen, there's so much freedom in that. So Thank you for sharing that. And I I really think the first time I ever heard that quote about you can do it all just not in one day was when you had shared it. So it's been a very guiding factor for me and like my, all the things that I do too. So appreciate you friend. I appreciate you. It's already been an hour and I feel like we could just keep talking and I actually have many, many more questions for you, but we will table that for the next time (laughs) as I'm sure there will be a next time, but where can we tell us more to round it out? Tell us more about where we can find you, where we can find cook one's dinner fix, the timeline for that. Cause I know you have some really, this is going to go live right before the presale ends. So people will have a chance to jump on the presale if it's, you know, if they can. So tell us more about that. Okay, so Cook Once Dinner Fix, you can learn all the information about it if you go to cookonce.com. Just keep it super simple for you. Fedandfit.com is my main website where there's 1,500 recipes for you. But cookonce.com is where you'll find all the information about the book, and you can pre-order it anywhere books are sold. But until, but if you pre-order before September 14th, which is the day that it comes out. So if you pre-order before September 14th, we have some really fun thank you gifts for you because pre-orders help y'all so Mm -hmm. much. It could be its own podcast to talk about the business of books, (laughs) but it helps a lot. And so as I really want to pay it forward and thank people for, for that leap of faith. And so we have Probably by the time you're listening to this, there are two ebooks available for you for free with eight more dinners and then also eight lunches, cook once style, very easy to make lunches. And then you also are invited to our VIP only launch party. And then we're going to do something really fun in the first four days after the book comes out where you can get a as many of y'all who do this as possible. So it's not like there's a limited number. Everyone's eligible. A free meal planning tear sheet with a magnet on the back of it for me, enough to get you through several months of using the book. But I'm going to physically put one in the mail to you. You just need to pay attention, follow on Fed and Fit's Instagram the day the book comes out and I'll share how you can get that. Oh my gosh. You always go 
are so generous with your pre-order stuff and all the fun things that you have planned. I remember that with Cook Once, Eat All Week, I'm going to have to now specify because you have two babies here, but yeah, it was so fun and you just really treat your community. And I think that's why you just have such a dedicated group of people that just love everything that you're doing because you are so incredibly generous oh, to thank that community. You. So thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for creating Cook Once Dinner Fix and everything that you've done on the blog. You are a delight and we'll talk next time. Thanks, friend. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Bye.